Good morning again, everybody. Um, uh, that was beautiful, Cat. Uh, really excellent. And it, it's a great song. It's a great song. As you would uh, already imagine, I, I want to just share with you from um, Romans chapter 10 this morning. It, it, it really is one of the great uh, gospel passages of the scriptures. And when I read it, I sort of picture Paul speaking to the church in Rome at the time. And, and Paul is one of those guys that I really want to meet. I really want to meet. But but I think I'd also find that really scary because I, uh, back at my home church in Ipswich when I was a little boy, you know, we, we had a couple of those men that when they would greet you, even as a little boy, it was, uh, and, and, and what are you doing for the Lord, Garth? And what are you doing for the Lord? And uh, so, but I think Paul would be one of those sort of people, very focused and uh, loves the Lord and always wanted to see, always wants to see his message uh, being shared with those around us. And, um, and, and I don't know whether you remember some of those sort of people from older people, especially from the churches that you used to attend. And, but I put Paul in that category, want to meet him, but I think I'd be scared. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was right up there, one of the great students of Gamaliel. He knew the scriptures, and in fact, in just these couple of chapters here, he quotes from something like 10 books of the Old Testament. He believed in the, in the, in the Jewish system as it was. He grew up in it. And he was starting to move into the upper echelons of that. And there he stood in that, holding the cloaks because he was the younger of them, while the other Pharisees or leaders in the temple stoned Stephen to death. So he was right in amongst the Jewish system. But here by way of miracle, he comes And is confronted by Jesus. And his life is turned upside down. The scales literally are taken from his eyes. And he sees the difference between the Jewish system of law that had been established. Quite different to what God had given. But the Jewish system of law and God's intentions through Jesus. Massive difference. And he explains it right here in Romans chapter 10. But he starts off and you can hear when he talks. I reckon you could just about hear a quiver in his voice as he says this. Dear brothers, the longing of my heart and the prayer is that the Jewish people might be saved. Because he's come from the inner sanctums of it. Into freedom. The people, where the people of of the Israelite nation had got to from the beginnings of uh, Abraham, where Abraham went out in faith and followed God in a life of faith and was obedient 
to the words and God communed with him, spoke with him. And he was the beginnings of the Israelite nation. And yet when you come from that, in the close following of, of, of God by uh, Abraham through to what you have been studying over the last number of months uh, of Isaiah where you can see the people of Israel had got to the point of following a system that is the law and leaving God right out of it. And in fact, they got to the point of not only following the system, the law, but they'd also brought in with them the gods of the, of the countries around them. And they were being obedient to the law, but also making sure they had bets each way, as it were, with following the rituals of the gods around them. And you know, as we look out at the world today, we see systems around us that are no different. Yes, Paul is talking here about the Israelite nation. He was talking about what was given as good turned bad. He was talking about a system of living that was pleasing to God where the people had taken it and taken it to a system of being saved. Something it was never intended to do. We look at our Muslim friends and they're doing the same thing. But there's more prescriptive. They take what is their book and they are seeking to do things that may work their way to paradise. We look at the uh, um, other uh, um, religions like Hinduism. Same sorts of things. Good works that gets them to some form of a better life. Buddhism, I think it is where, you know, they, they um, uh, punish themselves on earth and follow a system to in some ways get a better position in life later. I often would think of these things also when I would take funerals for non-Christian families. Do you know there are very few true atheists in the world, especially when confronted with death. People might be very upfront about saying, I have no uh, um, uh, belief in God or a God system. And then I will hear them in the next breath saying that their wife or their uh, father or grandfather, oh, I know that he's looking over me from up there. I know where he's gone. He was a good man. He did so much for the community. I know where he's gone. It wasn't appropriate at the time in most of these cases, because it was a time of grief to say, but you just told me that there isn't a heaven. And in fact, uh, I can remember sitting with a gentleman in bed himself who was getting older. And he, he contradicted himself in three minutes a number of times. We all have that God-shaped vacuum within us. 
We are all looking at various ways to attain a peace whereby we have a, a position in a heaven as we might know it. These people of the Old Testament, the Jewish nation and even to today, have built their salvation around these words that were given by God for a system of living, but not for salvation. God gave the children of Israel a wonderful position where he called them to his own. He called them by his name. He gave them a future. He gave them everything they needed to have faith in him, to then be a light to the rest of the world's community. Where they were to live in the promised land, they were to be a beacon living a life under God, under a theocracy, living this life that was pleasing to God so the people around them would see something special in these people and what would those other people desire to do? Surely you would think that those other people would then look See these people who are being blessed as God had said, I desire to bless you. That was the desire of God's heart. But we know that sin is prevalent in every one of us, not just in the Jewish nation, but in every one of us. And we're no different around the world today. So where God had desired his people, his Jewish people, to do this. He then sent that out into all the world when they wouldn't. And he sent Jesus. Do you know, I I have a confession to make that I was actually going, you know, our minds are silly at times. Well, my mind is silly at times. I know yours is probably very different to mine. But in my preparations for today, I really wanted to speak from Isaiah 58. And I was preparing that and then suddenly realised, oh no, you're studying Isaiah and whoever was going to do Isaiah 58 would be very, very upset with me, I'm sure. But it was interesting that I just want to mention from Isaiah 58 that the people would say to God, We would fast for you. We would do this. We would do that. And you never answered us. We would follow the rituals, but you would not respond to us. And Isaiah turned back and said to them, or God said to them through Isaiah, you say that you fasted for me, but at the same time you were underpaying your workers. You say that you would fast for me, but at the end of the day, you would end up in quarrels and fistfights. You say that you would fast for me, but your life never lived that fast. It was only a fast in name. 
Isn't that like us? You know, so often we have our rituals at church. During the week, we might be a worker in a factory, but nobody else in the factory would necessarily know by our actions and our deeds that we were Christians. We might be the boss of a company, and in that company, we may be looking at every way possible to pay our workers the absolute minimum and even under it if we could get away with it. We might be a neighbour of people around us, but by the way that they see us, there's never any evidence of us be having a relationship with God. And yet we then come into church and we have communion and we might pray out loud, we might come up here and we might go through the ritual of our religion and wonder why our life is actually not being blessed. Do you know that's no different to to, to Isaiah chapter 58? And Isaiah said back to those people, you know the things that God desires of you. He desires justice in your community. He desires mercy in your community. He desires you to walk humbly. Oh, doesn't that sound like Micah 6, 8? They're almost the same words. But if we go back through the history of the Israelite nation, time and time again, God says exactly the same thing. And he says the same thing to us today. Do you know, it's really interesting with Micah 6, 8, there's many... Uh, I know conservative uh, Christians who who don't who just leave those verses alone because they think they're almost being taken over by the left, and yet Micah six eight and those words to live justly, to love and display mercy, and to walk humbly is the foundation of all the gospel. It is the gospel. God looked down on mankind and his heart broke as he saw sin permeate its way through every part of creation. And the scriptures tell us that there is nothing that was created that has not been affected by sin. But being a just God, as he looked at us, he didn't just say, oh, well, I'm going to wipe you out and I'm going to start again. Or he didn't just say, oh, well, that's bad luck. (coughs) No. He had a plan already set in place that his justice would prevail. His justice. And Jesus came to earth to bring about that justice. Jesus came to earth. To pay the penalty that had to be paid for God's righteousness. (coughs) He came to earth to pay the price. But he was willing, as part of the Godhead, (coughs) to humble himself, 
to take on the body of his creation and step in to this world and live as a man. Sorry. (coughs) I don't have COVID. And live as a man. He showed mercy on all that was around him. In humility, he allowed himself to be taken. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross. He didn't call legions of angels, which he could have done. He stood in the garden before that and said, not my will, but yours be done. And he reaches out in mercy now today and calls all who have sin in their lives to come to him for forgiveness. And in that same example that he has given, he asks us to come and live in the same way. To seek justice for those around us. To live in a merciful way. To be the one to be generous to those around us. And he asks us to be humble in in our walk on this earth. I have a friend that I have built on social media. He's a pastor in a church in Pakistan. And it's not easy. (coughs) There are other pastors around him in their area that have been persecuted very heavily. (coughs) Sorry. But he's 23 years old. And he just loves the Lord. And God has really got a grip on him and given him a vision for how he is to reach out to the people of his community. During COVID, um, it's been really tough on the people in Pakistan. They have gone through certain lockdowns and so forth. But work has dropped off dramatically. And so those who are on the menial tasks have had no work. And if you don't work, you don't eat because there is no money and there's no social security. <coughs> Zishan and some of the others from his little church, it's only been going three years, have been putting together food parcels and they've been taking them. I said, how do you choose? And he said, I just follow the scriptures. And he said, widows and orphans first, other older people and, dis- and um, disabled people, then others. And... Um, He looks at it very simplistically and he puts together these food parcels which cost about $20 Australian and he's been asking people to to help do this. And uh, he takes them and he gives them to the people and they'd say, why are you doing this? He says, because Jesus told me to. Now, it's a Muslim country and some of them would know very clearly who Jesus is and others do not. And he would just simply say, would you like me to tell you about Jesus? And uh, some would say no, because of their strong Muslim faith. And others would say yes. But then he would continue to take the food parcels. And the ones who said no were surprised that he came back, because they said no. And sometimes it would take a third time 
And they would say, yes, tell me about Jesus. Because they could see a dramatic difference between him or, or the group from that church and other people in the community. And he has led so many to the Lord by reaching out in this way. There is another area of work that they are doing. There are uh, people who have been put into slavery because they've been given loans that they would never be able to repay. But that was the plan. And they have to go in and work in the, in the brick kilns. The whole family, not just the father. So the whole family goes and lives at the brick kilns. They're paid just enough to keep them alive. Not enough to feed themselves properly and absolutely not enough to ever be able to pay off the debt that they owe. So Zishan goes in with food parcels. Um, once again, the same sort of food parcels, about three weeks worth of food. And, uh, and they cost about $20 Australian. Wouldn't you love to be able to live on that much? But he takes them in and it's the same response. But the other thing he does there also is they don't have any water when they're out working. So they do 12 hours out in the sun and they're not allowed to have any water or they don't, they're not supplied any water. And so they get sick. And uh, so they've been buying the 15-litre um, cooler packs of water, um, you know, so they can go and they can fill them and take them out and work with them. And little uh, first aid kits because they would scratch themselves or hit themselves during the day with working and they had no way of being able to tend themselves and they would get terrible infections and it's the same thing he's able to sit down with the whole family and tell them about Jesus what a simple thing and yet the amount of people that are coming to the Lord because he's seeking justice he's giving mercy to these people and he's just walking humbly. He's not trying to force anything upon these people except to allow them to experience the love of Jesus as he gives them this food. And he allows them to tell, to, to say, would you like to hear about Jesus? Yes or no? And it's been lovely to hear the stories of what have been happening there. Do you know, we go on here and, and, uh, and, and the scripture talks about the salvation of Jesus. Romans 10 and 9. I, uh, that would be probably be the second verse that I ever learned. The first one was, uh, uh, for God loved, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the second one through Sunday school and every boy's rally would be this one here. And uh, of Romans 10 and 9, it's a wonderful, wonderful verse. And uh, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But how difficult it was for the Jewish nation to be able to say that, to be able to believe it, for they'd be able to utter it. Uh, they found it so very difficult. And yet it's the very heart and source of life to us. And this is the message that Paul said needed to go out to the nations. This is the very message that, um, uh, that, that Paul was saved with. This is the message that as we read Matthew 28, 18 to 20, go, and as David 
um, Wilson said at the, at the previous uh, missions day, and I remember hearing sermons on this quite a long time ago, go and as you are going. And that is the correct uh, um, way of saying that verse. Go and as you are going, because not all of us are called to the outer reaches of the world. But does that leave us out of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel? No, it doesn't. Did Jesus intend all to go away from their families to spread the gospel? No, he didn't. For most of us, we stay here and we live in communities. We live with our families. We live with our neighbours. We live with our workmates. Go and as you are going about your daily business... Preach the gospel with your lives. Display Christ with your lives. Seek justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly in the things you do and you will display the work of God in your lives. Isn't that what Zishan is doing in Pakistan? To his neighbours, to the various people around him. He is displaying Christ as he goes. I know many people have been really quite distressed in recent times, Christians, about what's happening in Australia. What's happening to the Christian church? There's so much opposition. Is the Christian church going to survive in Australia? Well, I, I, I think the wrong question is being asked. And now I can understand their concerns with some of the new laws that are being brought out and have come out and some of the ones that are actually going into Parliament this week that uh, for the re- restriction of Christian schools to be able to employ uh, people of faith. The reality is God has already won the fight and we as Christians need to remember that. The fight is already won. The gospel continues to go out around the world just as Zeshan is doing and I'll tell you about some others just shortly. But living in the bubble that we live in, you would think that the Christian church is under incredible attack. Maybe it needs to be. Because when we look at the countries where, where the Christian church has been under persecution, we see a refinement and a growth in those Christian churches that's not seen now in the West. But we still have to hold on to the fact that the cross-shaped dagger has been placed by Christ through the heart of the dragon, by through the heart of the serpent, that is Satan. And what we are seeing now is just the tail whipping around in the death throes, trying to create as much damage as he can. But the fight has been won. Our job is now just to continue to be obedient and spread the gospel and live the lives that God has called us to do.
I, uh, I get about, I don't know, 20 letters a day come across my um, desk or on the computer about the gospel that is happening around the world. And I can tell you it is incredibly exciting. And some of the work that is happening is, so, is in some of the worst places. What gospel do you think is happening at the moment in Afghanistan? You know, all we see on the, on the TV is horrific. And now I can tell you, from what I've read, it is horrific in there for the Christians and the persecution where the Taliban is going from door to door to door, seeking out any evidence that a Christian might be living there. It's horrific. But I wonder if any of you know what this is. It's, any of you know what it might be? It's probably hard for you to see. It's called a mega voice. And have you heard of mega voice? This has a little chip in it. And so all the various countries and the various languages, they're working their way through to provide, provide all of the scripture. First of all, this holds the scripture in it in a particular language. And so, they're in the process now of getting a thousand of these into Afghanistan. And they will have the two dominant languages on there. But when they're turned on to play, uh, all will be played for anyone looking at it will be local uh, music. But the Christian will know what buttons to press on there to be able to get the scriptures and teaching. When they spoke to the, their contacts in Afghanistan, they said, look, we're going to send a thousand. How many do you need? Brother, we need tens of thousands. He said, there are more Christians here than you realize. They need strengthening. But not only that, Our Muslim brothers and sisters are very disillusioned and they are very, very open to the gospel. Send as many as you can. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? In Myanmar, there's some incredible things happening in Myanmar. We've not only got a devastating COVID in Myanmar, but we also have a coup. And I can tell you they have been not only trying to deal with um, uh, government people and, and trying to imprison them, but they have been arresting anyone who professes to be a Christian. There is some great work that's happening there. And uh, over the years, Steer has supported a couple uh, over there by the name of Lun and Torn. And... They lived in a in a, a building that they were renting. It had no running water, so there was no kitchen, no um, toilet, no bathroom. So they would live there in this little mezzanine and they would have to go and use public toilets and showers. You can imagine what that was like. Beautiful, humble people, husband and wife, and they were printers. They are printers. And... Um, and so a couple of years ago, we bought them a, 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 a building and through a few of our partners and, uh, and so that they could have their own printing house and they could do what they like rather than be uh, um, subject to their landlord. 
and they could have some living quarters. They're only small, but they didn't want anything more. During COVID, a number of the other printers there, not too far from them, that they knew, were in rented premises and all went broke. They'd been given four offset printers and they'd been given a whole pile of paper and they are running absolutely flat out because the need for Christian literature in Myanmar at the moment is absolutely huge. They still can't print enough for all the people that are calling for all the literature that they produce. Right around, I saw the map of the places where it's gone to at the moment and it has right around Myanmar. And the call for Christian literature. God is at work (coughs) in this world at this time. We in our Western countries are not necessarily seeing the incredible growth of people coming to Christ. Another organisation called Eden. And this is a, uh, a couple who went to Myanmar because they knew of the, uh, the terrible uh, human trafficking um, of, uh, of young girls in, um, in Myanmar, into the brothels. And they have been working there and the government before the coup was very helpful to them. But because of the government being helpful to them, the coup leaders then wanted to find these people because they could see some documents and they knew of these people and they wanted to arrest them. And, you know, God has protected them right through this. And I got a message from them only a couple of weeks ago to say they had just rescued 114 North Vietnamese girls out of the brothels. 114. Well, the problem is, where do you put them? Here they are in hiding. They've got to um, um, clothe them, feed them, have have beds for them, and um, and 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 the stories that are coming. And I can tell you, it's the same thing. These people are saying to this couple, "Why are you doing this? Because Jesus loves you. Well, who's Jesus?" And they get the opportunity then and many of these girls are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and they're able to take them and they sneak out and they go down to this ravine to this water hole in the river and they baptize them. And, uh, but that's not the only, uh, ones that are, uh, uh, that, that 114 is purely a, a great number all at once, but they have been constantly bringing girls in and, uh, being able to rescue them from this. Justice, mercy, and humility. You know, when we take this scripture, Romans chapter 10, and we look at it, And we see that verse which actually comes out of Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. How beautiful are the feet of him who preaches the gospel. How beautiful. Can you imagine as God looks at these people. It looks at any of us. As we take opportunity to serve him with the gospel, as we take opportunity to share our faith and tell of the great works of Jesus, the smile it must bring to God's face. 
Because no verses are in this scripture without a purpose. It's not just there because um, Paul wanted to write it there. It brings, it brings great joy to the Father. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a wonderful, wonderful thing. We need to be able to put aside any of the things like the Jewish nation, the rituals that we might have that actually hinder us, or the rituals that we might have that we might use as a crutch, the rituals that we might have that we can that, that allows us to live a certain life, but then we come and we go through those rituals thinking that that makes it all right again. Our faith, our trust must be solely like um, uh, uh, Abraham in a faith in Jesus Christ. Like Paul in that faith in Jesus Christ because it's that alone that brings us into relationship with him and from there to live a life that is based on on his pattern of justice, mercy, and humility. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity of opening your word. I thank you for the truth that is in it. I thank you for the examples that are there. And I thank you for the many men and women who are in the scriptures that give us examples whereby we are to live. And some of the ones that give us examples on how not to live because you give us both. I thank you for the, the way that you have shared with us the life of people like Abraham that show us a life of faith but also show it to us that he was a man weak like we are. He also fell but you are also willing to forgive. Father, I thank you for this because it helps us and strengthens us to know that the great men of history were just like us, as it is said of Elijah, a man of like passions. But he went on in great faith to do great things for you. Father, I thank you. ask a blessing on all who hear this message today. In Jesus' name, amen.